Hey, it's Craig. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Canadian History X early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Greetings and welcome to another episode of Canadian History X. If you like, you can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. You can also donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking donate. Don't forget, I have three other podcasts out there. From John to Justin, which releases every single Friday. Coast to Coast, which releases every single Thursday and actually is ending next week. And Canada's Great War, which releases every single Sunday. I do all of these podcasts full time. The writing, the research, everything. So every dollar you give helps keep it all going, and I'll make sure to thank you on the air and throughout my social media. If you like, you can email me at craig at canadaehx.com. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D, and I'm on Instagram at Bairdo37. Before Europeans came through the area, people like Anthony Hende, the land that would become Duchess was occupied by the indigenous, specifically the Blackfoot. For the Blackfoot that occupied the area, the bison were an incredibly important part of their culture. From providing food and clothing, as well as materials for a variety of uses, the Blackfoot would follow the bison through the region, hunting them in great hunts. This way of life would last for centuries until the indigenous began to be pushed away from their traditional lands with the arrival of new settlers from the east in the late 19th and early 20th century. But before Duchess had begun to spring up as a community near Calgary, a man would move to the area and become an Alberta legend, John Ware. Ware was born into slavery on a plantation near Georgetown, South Carolina. When slavery was outlawed, Ware was in his early 20s and he made the decision to travel to Texas so that he could learn how to be a rancher and gain the skills of a cowboy. Thanks to his tall and muscular frame, he was hired to work his way up to Canada, driving cattle from Texas to Montana and then further on to what would one day become Alberta. This would make him one of the first black men to come to Alberta when he helped drive the herd of 3,000 cattle into the future province. Of course, there was still racism at the time and Ware was given the toughest horse to ride and the most difficult tasks. His ability to do the challenges with success and humor quickly earned him the respect of the other men. His move into Alberta came thanks to Tom Lynch in southern Idaho in 1882. Lynch had recently purchased those 3,000 head of cattle, and he wanted a man to drive them up to his ranch. The drive began in May and ended in September at the Bar U Ranch. Ware began to work at the legendary Bar U Ranch then, before he decided to set up his own ranch near the Red Deer River. It did not take him long to earn the respect of everyone who worked with him, but his nickname sadly reflected the times, and it's a nickname I won't repeat here. In May of 1885, the McLeod Gazette out of Fort McLeod would state, quote, John is not only one of the best-natured and most obliging fellows in the country, but he is one of the shrewdest cowmen, and the man is considered pretty lucky who has him to look after his interest. The horse is not running on the prairie, which John cannot ride. End quote. 
This glowing description of Ware was written during a huge roundup that consisted of 100 riders, 500 horses, and 15 chuck wagons. Also in the roundup was Edward Hills, who was an English gentleman that rode back to England stating of Ware, quote, the best rough rider in the Northwest, end quote. And he also praised his personal kindness. On May 25th of 1885, Ware registered his brand as 9999, which would eventually be 999 in 1898. In 1892, he would marry Mildred Lewis, daughter of a black homesteader in the area. They were married in the First Baptist Church of Calgary, and the Calgary Tribune at the time reported its heartfelt congratulations, noting that, quote, probably no man in the district has a greater number of warm personal friends than the groom, end quote. By 1900, at the age of 55, he and his wife had five children on their ranch, and they made the decision to move to the area of Duchess. Ware brought 300 cattle with them, and apparently as logs came down the river, he would lasso logs and haul them ashore. When he was able to get enough logs, he built the house. While this may seem far-fetched, there's actually a picture of this in the Duchess local history book. The logs were apparently from an aborted log boom owned by the Eau Claire Lumber Company upstream. His wife and children lived in Calgary while he built the new home. In 1902, their new home was destroyed by a flood, so he rebuilt on higher ground, with the new house overlooking the stream, which today is called Ware Creek. In a story from Janet Ware, she remembered her father fondly in their time on the ranch well, stating, quote, One day, father and I started on horseback for Edie's place, which was across the river. We got to the river and into Edie's boat, which was on our bank. However, the current was too strong for us, and we found ourselves breached on the same side of the river nearly a mile downstream. Father pulled the boat back with his saddle horse, and then we returned home, somewhat frustrated. End quote. Sadly, in 1905, his wife Mildred died from pneumonia, and Ware, only a few months later, was riding a horse when it tripped in a badger hole, falling on Ware and breaking his neck. The funeral for Ware was one of the largest ever for the early years of Calgary. And as the years have gone on, Ware has gained a folk hero status because of his contribution to Alberta culture. It was said that he was the one to introduce steer wrestling to the area, which is now one of the most popular rodeo events of the Calgary Stampede. Several landmarks are named for him, including John Ware Ridge, Mount Ware, and the aforementioned Ware Creek. John Ware Junior High School is named for him, as is the John Ware Building at St. Polytechnic. In 1958, the log cabin that served as the home in the last years of Ware's life was relocated to the Red Deer Valley and was completely restored. And one interesting story, as related by Janet Ware, was that when they moved the house in 1954 to its new location, they found Mildred's long-lost wedding ring under the floorboards of the cabin. In 1911, the fourth Duke of Sutherland would buy 6,800 acres of land just south of Duchess to begin dry farming operations, and the aqueduct would help him achieve that goal. The Duke then prepared ready-made farms for the settlers, and he prepared to bring out tenants from his farms in Sutherland Shire. There was anger in Scotland, though, on the belief that he was trying to depopulate Scotland by taking the best farmers to Canada. As a result of this, none of the initial farmers who were brought over were Scottish, and most were English. A school was built on the land, and settlers began to settle on these new ready-made farms. The construction of all these ready-made farms was overseen by the CPR, and in all, 30 families were brought over to the district to farm on these lands. The main residence of the land was built by the CPR for the Duke to use when he came from Scotland to view his new farm estate. It was an impressive bungalow with a sizable living room, two fireplaces, arched doorways, double doors in the lobby, and much more. A four-acre garden was also built, and when the Duke could not be on his residence, it was occupied by the estate manager. Sadly, the Duke only made one visit to the property before he died in 1913 in Scotland. 
Once he had died, the Sutherland family lost all interest in the project, and a series of managers oversaw the project with little input from across the Atlantic Ocean. In 1915, thanks to widespread irrigation projects, 5,000 acres of land was irrigated along with 1,000 acres of what was not irrigated. The entire estate would continue to operate well for 20 years, but with the absentee landlords and the Great Depression, the estate was divided. As for the bungalow and the land it sat on, it went into private hands in 1936. You can still visit this property, now called the Duke of Sutherland Site Complex, and today, the entire property is a provincial historic resource. The community would form in 1911 and would be named for the Duchess of Connaught. The first postmaster for the new post office of Duchess would be William Galloway. The first church to be built in the community was the Mennonite Church, with H.B. Raymer serving as the first resident minister, and the first general store to appear was owned by Chester Marshall. The railroad would arrive in the area in 1914, greatly spurring on development. One year later, the irrigation project to bring in water in the area finished and allowed most of the farms in Duchess area to settle. Most of these early farmers were Mennonites and Lutherans who'd come from Pennsylvania, Kansas, and Colorado. The community would build its first school in 1918 to serve the growing number of students who were starting to attend. In 1919, a CPR branch would be built from Duchess, north of a distance of 50 kilometers, costing $427,000 per 1.5 kilometers. The community had prospered enough in its first decade that the decision was made to move from being a hamlet and instead become a village in 1921. By the time 1921 came along, the community was growing at such a fast rate that there was a need to increase the size of the school due to the influx of students. The school board was forced to lease the upper floor of the Davis building that was over the post office to increase the accommodation for students. And the original school, which by this point was only a few years old, would be used for the junior grades while the senior grades would attend school above the post office. The same year that Duchess went from being a hamlet to a village, one of the first orders of business for the community was to get a loan and debentures secured for the fire equipment they wanted to buy. Tragedy would strike in the community the year it became a village when local constable Frank Sissons, who was a member of the provincial police force, was accidentally shot by Arthur Brooks, an inspector for the Department of Neglected Children. The incident was a complete accident. Both men were examining the rifle when it went off, killing Sissons instantly. In 1924, Duchess would go through a terrible disaster when a fire erupted in the business district on April 11th. The fire would completely gut the general store and hardware store next to it, and due to a shortage of water in the village, the fire could not be brought under control in time and it would end up doing $30,000 in damages, which is roughly $500,000 today. Unfortunately, less than one-third of that was covered by insurance, and $13,000 worth of stock was completely destroyed. In 1947, another fire would hit the community when on December 5th, a fire burned the alfalfa mill in the community to the ground. The plant at the time was full of alfalfa hay, and at 8.40pm on that day, an alarm was sounded and employees quickly began to save the records and tools from the office prior to the arrival of fire crews that brought two small chemical tanks to fight the fire. Thankfully, there was little wind so no other buildings were in danger, nor any of the nearby elevators. But the fire did destroy 200 tons of alfalfa hay, and put 10 people out of work. In 1955, Duchess would celebrate when a brand new school was built, and the event was conducted as part of its Golden Jubilee in Alberta, and Mayor Paul Bartlett would be the master of ceremonies and would cut the ribbon on the new school, while the local air cadets raised the flag at the school. 
You can visit Duchess today. It's a beautiful, small little community, and I've been through it several times. And it's a cool community. It has some great little restaurants, and it has a great vibe. So go check it out. I hope you enjoyed that episode and my look at Duchess. If you did, please leave a rating and review. If you like, you can email me at craig at canadaehx.com. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D, and I'm on Instagram at Bairdo37. As well, again, if you want to support the podcast, you can for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash canadaehx. And you can donate to the podcast by going to canadaehx.com and clicking donate. I'd also like to thank all of my wonderful patrons, and I apologize if I get any names incorrect. Colin Johnson, Katie Caldwell, Jeff Hershey, Kyle Murray, Steve Pakin, Matthew Gartho, Lionel Romaine, Dr. Bob Turner, an anonymous patron that I truly do appreciate, Randy Hayden, Doug Campbell, Reg W., Deborah Carlson, Francis Helbling, Nick Zinri, Shannon Marshall, Clinton Martinez, Dimitri Shove, Aaron O'Hara Myers, Robert Dunseith, Todd Casey, Catherine Rawa, Luke S., J.P. Bear, Jason Hall, Phil Maynard, and Iris Gray. Thanks. We'll see you again next time.